Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today we are talking about 50 years of hip-hop and its influence in San Diego. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's the conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. We'll take a look at how hip-hop started and how it's evolving. I I think about the story of hip-hop in America and the story of hip-hop at the tiny desk is almost parallel. Plus, we'll hear about San Diego's unique hip-hop sound and the artists behind it. Then, we'll talk about the music's impact on American culture. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome in San Diego, it's Jade Hindman. Today we are looking back at 50 years of hip hop as the music genre celebrates a milestone birthday. From local artists to its influence on culture, we'll talk about how it started and where it's going. This is Midday Edition, connecting our communities through conversation. It all began on August 11, 1973. 18-year-old DJ Cool Herc and his sister threw a back-to-school party in the Bronx, now largely credited as the night that birthed hip-hop. It's been 50 years since then, and NPR's own Tiny Desk Concert Series is celebrating the milestone with big-name artist performances. The senior producer responsible for putting those artists behind that tiny office desk at NPR's headquarters in D.C. is Bobby Carter. Bobby, welcome to Midday Edition. Hey, Jade. How you doing? Doing great. And it's great to have you here. (laughs) Good to be here. It's really good to be here. So I want to start with some of your favorite hip-hop Tiny Desk performances. You talked about it uh, a bit on NPR. Tell me more. 
Yeah, well, I always when I think about my favorite, the one where I actually I had to stop working because I was so engulfed in the moment. Uh, I always go to uh, Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib. Uh, Mad Lib was like it's such a legend. And the way Freddie Gibbs, the way they did it, they brought in a band called L. Michael's Affair and they were able to uh, play these samples that Mad Lib chopped on record and made them sound so vintage and dusty and made them sound new again. That combined with the sound and just Freddie Gibbs just rapping at just like the highest level you can live and, and live in color. It was just uh, an unbelievable experience to, to, to behold, but also like Meg the Stallion was amazing. JID was amazing. I have so many favorites. That depends on whatever the date is. I got me a European poppy out of Italy. And he liked the model, but he always loved a picture me. Flying overseas and he's just The thing about the hip hop at the tiny desk is that you're always gonna get something brand new that you never that you haven't heard on the record. So uh, yeah, those are a couple of my favorites. Just a couple. Yeah, I mean, do you think some of them have been like underrated or or people are sleeping on? Yeah, for sure, for sure. There are, you know, given that we have so many big tiny desks, right? Big hip hop tiny desks, right? Like it's easy for for everyone to gravitate toward a juvenile or mm -hmm. to gravitate toward J Tyler the Creator, but we also had the God MC Rakim at the tiny desk before. Yeah. Welcome to Harlem, the home of innovating legacies and stories of God's killing Satan. Where they honor Harlem's father, Philip Payton, the Renaissance in the making. We've had Big Crit at the Tiny Desk before, Rhapsody at the Tiny Desk. We've had Wu Tang. Put the W up in the air like this for me. Put them up, put them up, put them up. 25 years strong, man, and they in here. We ain't going nowhere. So there's so many, when you click on one hip hop show, you just, I hear from so many people who, who, who listen to the show and who watch the show, just click on that one show and let the algorithm take you down this rabbit hole of amazing moments behind that little desk. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes too. Uh, speaking of Juvenile though, he performed there a few months ago. I actually heard it was mm -hmm. quite the mission to get him to appear. Um, <laughs> I mean, he didn't even know what a tiny desk was, right? Didn't know what it was. He uh, tweeted such in a way that was very like, I, what the F is a tiny desk? Right. And also, no, I'm not doing it. That was his quote. That was his tweet. <laughs> and uh, the response from our listeners and our, and our viewers were, were just, it was just overwhelming with like, no, OG, you should. Actually, Freddie Gibbs tweeted him like, OG, you really should play the tiny desk. And here's why. And people just started listing off and tweeting dozens and hundreds of their favorite shows as examples to Juvie as to why he he should play the desk. And within 24 hours, he got uh, he put a call to action saying that if this tweet gets um, 10,000 retweets, I'll consider. And in less than 24 hours, that tweet went crazy and the DM started flying my way and we finally made it happen. It took a couple months, but yeah, we finally made it happen. And it was, uh, to me, one of the most exciting moments in music of, of this year. But I can't bounce with you without using my hands with it. Come on, see. Come on, I need your energy for me. Say, uh, I 
saw it. It was pretty epic. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. Yeah, but you know, I bet I bet that's rare though to hear someone who doesn't know what a tiny desk is. Um, a lot of up and coming artists, I'm sure they come on and say it's been a dream of theirs to perform at Tiny Desk. Um, it's really become this huge milestone for musicians, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, it depends on who you're speaking to. I, I've, I've started to notice it's a generational thing. So, yes, most people know, but there's still a sector of, of our audience out there, just a sector of musicians who don't understand the cultural impact of Tiny Desk, don't understand like what it could do even for uh, uh, album streams and what it could actually do for a career that may have been thriving for 10, 20, 30 years. It could really help, you know, catapult you know, a, a huge career even further. You know, like when I think about um, Usher, when we had Usher at the Tiny Desk last year, um, you know, Usher is Usher and he didn't need Tiny Desk, but, you know, it did really well for his his Las Vegas residency. It, it, you know, that extended and it continued to extend. And, you know, it just goes to show, like like you said, the power of, of you know that that audience the power of the of a, of a performer stripping away what you're used to seeing on a stage and just stripping away all the bells and whistles and just getting that raw talent right in front of if i'm gonna tell it then i gotta tell it all i damn near cried when i got that phone call i'm so low and i don't know what to do but to get it part two of my yeah. I mean, when Tiny Desk first started, it didn't focus on hip hop or, or really a lot of black music at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was right. a huge point of criticism that it only represented a few genres. Um, mm-hmm. So what's changed since then? You know, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And I, I, I think about the story of hip hop in America and the story of hip hop at the Tiny Desk is almost parallel, right? I think for a long time, society sort of, there was tons of misconceptions about uh, hip hop and R&B and black music in general. And it was, a lot of it was deemed unacceptable in a way. And I think in many ways, there were people where we are at NPR who, who, who felt the same way. And it just took people like myself and uh, many other colleagues to, to really push forward and, 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 and let, and let the, the powers that be know that, no, this, this could be a game changer the, you know, these artists and these black musicians, they can they can change the game for Tiny Desk. And, you know, when you look on our YouTube page now, you see, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, if it wasn't for black music, a Tiny Desk wouldn't we you and I may not have even been talking about Tiny Desk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what was what was the turning point for the series, you think? The turning point uh, was was T-Pain. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Um, a colleague, former colleague of mine, Franny Kelly, uh, brought that to the table. And it's the perfect example, even to this day, it's the perfect example of what a true, what, what a true tiny desk should be. Um, it's all about, the, all about the intimacy. Obviously, T-Pain is known for auto-tune. And he, you know, kudos and hats off to him, he leaned into the, the big challenge of taking auto-tune away, something that he was known for. His calling card was auto-tune. And he walked into the building and everybody was 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 nervous and it, it was completely awkward. But once he got back there and just sang and that natural voice came out, it was the most magical thing to this day um, you've, you, you'll ever experience at the Tiny Desk because no one expected that. 
And his voice is unbelievable. And a lot of people did not know that. And it was the first time that uh, the Tiny Desk experienced a real viral moment. Baby girl, what's your name? Let me talk to you. Let me buy you a drink. And I'm T-Pain. You know me. Convict music, Nappy Bowie. I know the club. Close at three. Right. And I, I want to say that's the first time I got, I was introduced to Tiny Desk, the Tiny Desk series. Yeah, is when yeah you and million, millions of millions yeah. of other people. That was, that was the, that was the gateway. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, when you first started producing Tiny Desks, was mm-hmm. it difficult to get buy-in um, to do some of the shows that you wanted to do? Personally, it was difficult to get buy-in for a few reasons. Number one, I wasn't even on NPR Music staff at the time. When I first started producing Tiny Desk concerts, I was on the other side of the building as a digital media engineer. I just happened to be like a music lover. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with music. And I, I started my career as an intern with Bob Boylan, the creator of Tiny Desk Concerts. I started my career as his intern. So I kind of had a foot in. I was able to kind of get my pitches in. But it took a while, you know, because I, I didn't have a track record. Um, over at NPR Music, but, you know, to his credit, he trusted me, and, and we finally made it. The first Tiny Desk I've ever produced was uh, The Foreign Exchange uh, back in 2000, I want to say 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I started to do more and pitch more, we had the Rhapsodies and the Mac Millers and the and the, and the Anderson Packs and stuff like that, I was able to sort of build up a track record to the point where, you know, they trusted me. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you have a responsibility to use the platform to promote black artists and black music? Yeah, 100 percent. I take it so serious. I take it serious. I think that, you know, especially with our audience, given that our, our audience is so young and so diverse. And I think about some of the debates I see on social media at times and a lot of our greats at times are could be reduced to a social media debate or could re- be reduced to a meme or something like that. It's my responsibility and, and responsibility of my colleagues to remind people um, of, of the greatness that a lot of these artists have brought to our culture, have brought to music, have brought to society. So I think it's, it's there's a responsibility to deliver the flowers, for especially for those who may have forgotten like when you look at what we you know what we did this year for uh black music month celebrating black music month celebrating the likes of a a charlie wilson mm-hmm. celebrating the likes of a baby face where maybe the younger generation didn't don't, don't realize just how impactful these artists are in our culture in our in our in the in the in the very being like in black people so i think that yes it's an it's an ultimate responsibility to do that there's a plat you know we have a huge platform and millions of people are watching and there's enough time and enough space and enough days in the year for us to cover everything. But for me, I do feel uh, a specific passion to uh, highlight um, our heroes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, growing up in St. Louis, what was the soundtrack of your teenage years? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we were so lucky. When I say we, you and I, we mm-hmm. were so lucky uh, to grow up in St. Louis because we're right in the middle. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we get the West Coast influences. We get the East Coast influences. We get the down South influences. So I, I, I always feel so lucky from a music standpoint because there was really no, for me, from my standpoint, there was no bias. You know, I wasn't right. 
necessarily loyal to one style because we were right in the middle and I, I was able to kind of appreciate it all. So, you know, when you look at, when I look at the, you know, the way I curate and the way I DJ, I just, it's just such a gumbo, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was just such a gumbo in 90, you know, in the nineties, when I was in high school, it was a lot of bone thugs and harmony. It was a lot of Tupac, a lot of Biggie, um, a lot of pop, you know, I worked at, uh, I worked at Sam Goody at Northwest Plaza. So <laughs> yeah. I was able to, um, I was able to like learn and really get my chops and learn about, you know, the different genres. So I was able to dip into learn about the pop, the pop arena and more jazz and more and more rock because each employee at Sam Goody, they were considered a, a genre expert, almost kind of like we, we have at NPR. Each person is considered a quote unquote uh, genre expert but yeah growing up in st louis i just i was lucky enough to like get a dose of it all yeah yeah no i totally agree with that and uh we've talked about how hip-hop influences culture and it seems npr music and tiny desk play a major part in that now what are your thoughts on the cultural impact of tiny desk i think that tiny desk at this point from from a larger scope from the npr scope we've been able to um, bring in the youngest audience, the youngest, most diverse audience that NPR has ever seen. And, and I think a part of that is that we're, we're listening to them. They help inform our decisions uh, of, for who we bring. So given that we cover, you know, we ca we're casting such a wide net from generation and genre I think we're 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 moving the needle and we're shifting we're shifting and, sh and shaping shaping culture um, every day. Um, we're bringing in artists that people may not think are like the the typical NPR safe choice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that when you when when we do that, we're saying that you no, know, we we believe in these artists. I think that you know sometimes um, I said this before in another interview. I think that sometimes rappers particularly they come in thinking that they can't like curse and they can't fully express themselves and i'm i always make it my duty to kind of let them know like once you're behind the desk you can you can express your art the way you intended when you when you recorded it and i think that's really important for our culture to feel important and feel valuable and feel feel that we can be ourselves and this no matter where we walk we can be ourselves i think that's very very important um culturally and i and i and i just really really want to continue that because the audience has spoken it means something to them i've been speaking with bobby carter senior producer of npr's tiny desk concert series bobby it's been great talking with you and thanks so much for joining uh, us yeah this is so much fun jade I, I really appreciate you talking to me and uh and thank you as t-pain's tiny desk concert takes us to the break we want to know, what was the first hip-hop song you fell in love with? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. You can leave a message or email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, the conversation continues with Parker Edison about San Diego's unique sound and history of hip-hop. The signature of our sound is we have something that can be super creative and be just right for the mainstream, or we have something that is completely left of what's popping in the mainstream, but equally as popular. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. We're talking about hip-hop's 50th anniversary. And as you just heard, hip-hop may have originated on the East Coast in New York, but there are vibrant scenes from Atlanta to Los Angeles. And San Diego even has its own illustrious rap history. So we wanted to talk more about the local hip-hop scene, San Diego artists who left their mark on the genre, and those who continue to hone their craft. Joining us with more is Parker Edison. He is the creator and host of the KPBS podcast, The Parker Edison Project. Parker, welcome back to Midday Edition. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Waking up, waking up. It's a slow morning. (laughs) But first questions first. You know, I want to start with your musical background. What's your personal history with hip hop? I am actually, I'm a San Diego rap artist. So I'm, I'm very, very familiar with the scene. Yeah. All right. And describe what the San Diego hip hop scene is like. It's very creative. It's so, 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 so centered on the creativity that that's what we kind of offer when we when we work with other cities and states and other artists. That's kind of our contribution. And uh, on the flip side, we don't have like a, a huge infrastructure for business and management talent agents. We don't have a lot of those types of things uh, here. So it it really is a a DIY culture and scene. What sets us apart in terms of hip hop from other cities and other regional scenes stylistically? Again, maybe because of our proximity to LA, we have our ear to what's mainstream popping. And also because we're naturally creative, we're kind of tweaking that formula and working on our own formula. And all three of those things are coming out of the city simultaneously. And so Mm. that's kind of like the signature of our sound is we have something that can be super creative and be just right for the mainstream, or we have something that is completely left of what's popping in the mainstream, but equally as popular. And, you know, we talked a bit about how Southeast San Diego, actually, they've got a notable history with rap. And you've even produced a community music project and podcast episode about it. Can you tell us more about that and the history? Yeah, yeah. Um, The project that we put out was called Reclaiming the Community. And it was very much a grassroots effort that was spearheaded by Pillars of the Community, which is a collection of artists, businesses, uh, and community advocates that are all working in Southeast San Diego. And so everyone just kind of threw their resources in and we put together a compilation, but specifically we were tapping into the street level artists for this record to bring uh, awareness to the fact that previously incarcerated uh, people had, had been released and now had the right to vote. And so we were just kind of letting the disenfranchised voters know 
that they had a voice and that they had the capabilities. We were bringing that awareness to them and we used the street level rap and rappers to have those conversations. And uh, it went really, really well. It, it was incredibly well received. Um, and then we did a second mixtape that featured new school uh, rap artists that are kind of pushing the envelope, a little less traditional. And so that was the Reclaiming the Community Project and it was really well received. It received the Peacemaker Award, uh, the National Peacemaker Award. And my podcast is called The Parker Edison Project, and I did an episode on the San Diego Improv, which is similar to what they had in the Apollo in Harlem, where unsigned talent can come and perform in front of the people and for the people and become favorites or have their work critiqued. And it also was a, an offshoot of what was happening in L.A.'s Project Blowed. Uh, Parker, I want to talk about the seminal artists in San Diego hip hop. Who do you think really left their mark on the genre here? J.O. Felony. He's a, a San Diego rap artist who was signed to Def Jam. Seminal and, and has records with Snoop. Um, on, on another side, Big June is, a, is an underground rap artist whose career probably starts in like the mid 90s. He was probably 15 when he had cassette tapes going out and just moving them hand to hand, those tapes are still out and available now. And not, not you have to go dig and find people who are collectors. Regular people in the neighborhood will still be like, yeah, I got that big June tape. So he's he's a huge one in the impact. He's still putting out music. He's still he's still someone that's that's looked to in the community that the young cats look to as the bar and and who they should look to for advice and mentorship. We always talk about Orko, Orko Elohim, who, who's like almost the father of, of an underground movement, Masters of the Universe. So that's three cats. That's three cats right there. All right. And how about some local rappers or groups that are on the rise? I'm a huge fan. And this, this is actually, this goes between two. Here's a bridge. Uh, 1019, the number man has been in the scene since 1995, 96. I met him because I got a cassette that he was on when I was running around Southwestern College in like 96. And so uh, he had hot tapes out then, and that's how I learned about him. And he's still making music now. He has a live band. It's called 1019 and the Number Men. They just put out some music uh, this last two years. They've been just on a, on a, on a hot run. Uh, I'm a big fan of them. And uh, also Rick Scales. Rick Scales is a cat that's probably been uh, been in it for at least, let's say, a, a solid 10 years. I think he's been really, really just kind of grinding it out here in the city. He's one of the best freestyle artists. He's a he's a, a show promoter. He has a, an ongoing thing called Slapping Hands that's been kind of holding down the live music for rap here in San Diego. And he's just an insane lyricist. He he has a rhyme where he, he rhymes it with meniscus. <laughs> okay, we're going to play it. Yeah! Great. Fly as a discus, go in the distance. You tore your meniscus with this. Not hard to miss like cool G raps. That's Fade Nasty. Fade Nasty did it. That's the name of that track. What about you? You're you're a, a hip hop artist, lyricist. Tell me about your music, your sound, and what's the muse behind it? I'm a big fan of sound as art and documentation. So I really love to to use rap songs to to kind of document things that are happening in life or happening around me and how I feel about them philosophically. So a lot of my stuff is it's kind of introspective in a way. I'm a big fan of like jazz. I'm, I'm out of the box, but 
I'm also a, a fan of of just rocking the party. Like I come from the school of rap that they just plug the, the the turntables up next to a light pole and cats just get busy in the park. And you gotta you gotta really have that charisma and pull them in. So mm. being quite humble, that's that's <laughs> the kind of school of art that I come from. So I, I try and make music that does that that rocks well in the party, but also I like to do stuff that's just uh, headphone music that cats can kind of kind of get out of the box with. And uh, you know, check me out. I got I got something called the the couch tapes. That's kind of classic underground stuff. And then later, I do something called the Parker Meridian with a live band. We fight every night now. That's not kosher. I reminisce with bliss of when we was close, but I wake up to be greeted by an argument again. You act like you're ten. You're so immature. I try to concentrate on the cure. I keep looking at the front door. I thinking if I was to evacuate, you'd probably be straight and straight and wouldn't have so much hate. Cause you don't know the pain I feel when I see you smiling. But when I roll up, I think we took maybe three San Diego Music Awards in the last six years. So it's, it's worth a listen. We're, we do okay. <laughs> You're like, we do all right. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and toot your horn, Parker. Um, <laughs> you know, um, in, in our show, we've talked about how hip-hop continues to have a massive influence on popular culture. How do you think hip-hop influences San Diego? I think it's very much the culture. The music is almost, if the culture is based on graffiti, dance, DJing, and uh, and then rap. Rap is, is probably at the bottom in San Diego where we, we have so many DJs because we have so many clubs because we have so much tourist action coming out here. So whereas you might hit a place like the Bronx, they're pillars of rap. The, the lyricist might be at the top for San Diego. I think it's very much the the DJ, which makes us more like tastemakers. We we have a history with mixtapes. DJs like Mike Check uh, had series, and and we we've always had those cats. We've even had major like major mixtapes come through here, and we've had a circuit of those. So I think that's kind of like how San Diego has always gotten down. I mm-hmm. think that's our our way of contributing. Yeah, interesting how you you bought in. You know how hip hop has influenced like graffiti, dance. You know, when we talk about hip hop, people sort of only think about music, but there's a, a lot, a lot that, that, that it's connected to, correct? Absolutely. And it's, it's circular, like the, the, you know, the graffiti or the fashions, what you're looking at while the music is playing and somebody who has to play the music is the DJ. And so every, every, and that's the beauty of it is as you go to different cities and different states, this state might have the best rappers and this state might be yielding the best producers. And so. You know, with San Diego, I think that we're we're very much feeding the culture in terms of we're we're observant of what the style is. We're observant of the the nuances of of how we're speaking. We're very much aware of uh, what is what will be happening to the generations that are dealing with hip hop or enjoying hip hop. What their lives will be like and how we need to socially prepare them and keep them safe. Uh, and that's what you have groups like Pose of the Community doing grassroots social justice for. So. But those are the aspects of the culture. Uh, yeah, I think those are the places that San Diego really, really pushes hip hop and has it in front. We have some great lyricists too, but I think they, they're a little bit lesser on the totem pole. Hmm. Uh, where can people go to support the music and the people behind the music? You got to go to the, to the, the, the pillars and the community. And, and I'm using that term in general, like you got you to gotta get down and talk to the people who are doing things. So you got to reach out and and hit the DJ who's playing at places and just run up on them. Hey, DJ Artistic, 
who do you who do you really like? Hey, DJ Legend, you know, who's the last show that you you really enjoyed? And just having those conversations with the tastemakers as you find them, Jazz the producer, uh, Rebecca Jade. We didn't even get into how hip hop is still there is like a jazz, uh, traditional jazz scene here in San Diego, but that is really an offshoot of hip hop because a lot of them are fans of hip hop and are still in that space. So like, but talking to those type of tastemakers, which makes an Al Howard, a Rebecca Jade, all of these cats, you gotta, you gotta get down and just talk to the people who are out here and network a little bit to get the real info because we don't have major blog sites that people can go to anymore because of COVID. A lot of that's kind of, you know, quieted down. So it's, it's really, we're back to kind of word of mouth now. In fact, I, I have a record with Rebecca Jade and that's how, how, rap and jazz kind of mix and match here in San Diego. And uh, the one that we have is called No Sequels. And that's from when I was doing a live band with Nathan Hubbard and John Reeder. And uh, Rebecca J was kind enough to come through and do the vocals. And it's a very, it's a, a, a real kind of out of the box nod to Donna Summer, in my opinion. can't prove it but i feel that way about it it gives me donna summer vibes but our music is very very underground in itself so again here's this wild hodgepodge all right i've been speaking with parker edison host and creator of the parker edison project and parker thanks so much for joining as always absolutely thanks jay As a little Kendrick Lamar takes us to the break, coming up, we've got Dr. Marcus Collins, who talks about the influence of hip-hop and American culture. I mean, in a lot of ways, hip-hop culture sort of captures the ethos of American culture, this idea of coming from nothing to something. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. So we were just talking about hip hop's influence here in San Diego, but it also influences so many parts of our culture beyond just music. Its imprint is on fashion, media, dance, even politics. You know, hip hop continues to be a major part of the cultural movement. Here to talk more about that is Dr. Marcus Collins. He's a professor at the University of Michigan, former digital strategist for Beyonce, and author of the new book, For the Culture. Dr. Collins, welcome. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. So uh, the cultural impact of hip hop is so broad. How would you describe it? 
I would say that his impact has spanned across different industries uh, from commerce perspective, from the way that we dress, from an artifacts perspective, from our behaviors, our mannerisms, our language, and the cultural production that we've taken. in. I mean, in a lot of ways, hip hop culture sort of captures the ethos of American culture, this idea of coming from nothing to something. And hip hop really at its ethos is that it started off as a, a house party. And it was just a form of music at that time, a way of taking the breaks and finding interstitials to keep a party moving. But what it's turned into is cultural production. This is art that expresses a way of life for a particular group of people. And considering what hip hop is sort of birthed in, this idea of overcoming the obstacles and, and living to the highest fidelity possible, there are many people who share the same point of view across the world and its impact has been global in nature because of that very thing. Do you think that uh, sort of the purpose behind hip hop has you know significantly changed between when it first started 50 years ago and now? Sure. I think there's some evolution, but a lot of the same, uh, that's the same spirit, right? Like it was a party in 1520 Cedric, which Avenue in, in the South Bronx, which in a lot, which is a, a, a impoverished uh, community. It was a housing project, right? And even in times of, of oppression, even in times of depression, there's still something to celebrate. And hip hop is that. It's about celebrating uh, even in times when things are not looking great um, and also finding those moments to overcome uh, or finding those opportunities to overcome those moments. And music becomes the way by which that happens, quite literally taking people from areas that are socioeconomically impoverished uh, to providing opportunities to make way for themselves and their family to create generational wealth. Uh, Hip hop is I don't think anyone who started, I don't think Cool Herc, when he was DJing his sister's birthday party, thought that hip hop would come this far, as Biggie Small says, uh, and Juicy, but it certainly has. Uh, but the ethos of it hasn't changed. It's just evolved. Right. Which aspect of culture do you think hip hop influences the most right now? Well, at the moment, it's got to be commerce. I mean, hip hop. It, I mean, hip hop, it's, it's such it's so consumption positive that it quite naturally will have an impact on what we wear, what we drive, how we adorn ourselves, the products that we use in, in those times in, you know, in the in the early 80s, when when artists will get on stage, when DJs will get on stage and, and perform and artists are going to say to start rhyming what they wore, what they adorned themselves in was a way by which they signal where they were in the social hierarchy. It was a way by which they're able to achieve their identity project. And at its core, that's what hip hop does today also. And its impact on industries spans from music, of course, to auto, to fashion, to beauty, to technology, to jewelry and, and consumer packaged goods and so on and so on and so on. It's because uh, a way by which we signal our ability to have overcome the odds, this is how we signal that in our consumption. Right. I mean, who would have ever thought that we'd have wrap snacks and Snoop Dogg cereal and wine on shelves, you know? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable, especially at a time when people said hip hop wasn't even real music. They said right. it was a fad. It wasn't going to it wasn't going to last long at all. And now hip hop has become the most consumed genre in the country. Not only that, 
it, it certainly has reverberated beyond just the South Bronx uh, to become a part of the American ethos. It's become what we say normal. <laughs> what was once fringe and subcultural has now become normal, and it is a part of our vernacular. It's how we talk. It's how we, it's how we adorn ourselves. It's how we style ourselves. Um, and, and that salience of what was once relegated to a certain group of people for it to be adopted the way it has – uh, it says a lot about what this this culture means, um, not only to the people who created it, but those who can see common marginalities inside of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, five decades of hip hop means it's influenced so many people over the years. Can you talk more about how the music and culture shaped all of these different generations? Sure. I mean, I think hip hop out of all the music genres that have an associated culture, Hip hop was wise enough to evolve uh, as the world around it evolved. I mean, if you if you take a snapshot of people who consider themselves punk today, it looks very much like it looked 20 years ago, 30 years ago. The same thing with rock. But if you take a snapshot of hip hop every two years, every three years, every year, it looks different because it evolves with the culture around it. That is, it responds to the exogenous shocks to the system of a group of people and then it manifests in its adornment what it wears and the language that it that it uses um, and this is what makes hip-hop such a timeless thing that's why it can last for so long because it looks so different over the years it evolves over the years as people uh find new ways to express themselves again back to what the ethos of of of, uh, of what hip-hop is about and i think that its ability to to evolve over time has created more doorways for people to be a part of it you know, at, at one time, hip hop was very much New York, and maybe if you didn't uh, if you didn't appeal to that sensibility, you didn't find a way in for you. But now there's Chicago hip hop, there's down south hip hop, there's West Coast, of course, that made its way in in the late '80s, early '90s. Of course, you've got uh, Florida hip hop with like Two Live Crew. There's so many ways by which people are able to enter the 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 genre and therefore be able to rework what the ethos meant through their own cultural lenses and that allows it to not only evolve but also grow right and you know i mean what do you think about this i feel like earlier on when hip hop first started there there was much more real estate for conscious rap and then that started to change um as the decades went on what do you think happened to make that change, I think that there's a few there's a few things at play. There's one uh, what the public has a taste for. It's uh, what what their appetite is at the moment, and how the music satiates that. Uh, the other thing is just like all things in cycles. Sometimes conscious uh, artists might feel too heavy, and people say, "I just want to dance, I just want to party," because life is too heavy, and then therefore they swing one way until the consciousness of the people are ready to go to something that's a bit more weighty. And I think that what what hip hop provides today is that there's such diversity in the 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 content. So I mean, so much diversity in the artists that there is a place for everyone. 
right? You can still be, hey, I'm a boom bap hip hop guy. Like, I don't like trap. I don't like drill. Well, this is for me from an aesthetic perspective and, and um, a sonic aesthetic perspective. Well, you can say, look, I'm not a party guy. I want things that are like, like they're reflecting what's happening in the streets. Okay. There's something there for you. If someone's like, Hey, look, I, you know, I grew up native tongues, tribe called quest, like myself, De La Soul. Right. And like, I want something that's a little bit more conscious or just kind of talking about the world around them in, in a way uh, that that's, that's more sensible to the way I see the world. Then there's that for you. And while it may not seem like there's much of it, well, that's just because there are the the primary ways by which we listen to music through terrestrial radio. Uh, they only have so many slots to play so many songs and they're playing what the general populace is looking for. However, there's representation across the entire genre for people who are looking for that. And there are places by which they're able to to consume it. And, you know, there it, it's it's a it's a buffet in a lot of ways that mm -hmm. you pick up what you want and you have uh, you have the artists that are there to serve you uh, relative to your, your desires. You know, the the genre also has a troubled history, too, particularly with misogyny and misogynoir. What do you think about where hip hop stands now when it comes to being more inclusive and really pushing back against toxic masculinity? Well, hip hop has a lot of ways to go still, and it's but it's evolved quite a bit, quite a bit. You know, if you look at music from the '80s and the '90s, um, they almost seem unacceptable with regards to the objectification of women, uh, the idea of what it means to be a man, it, sort of the the way things stood as far as the language that was used for uh, people who are the LGBTQ plus community. The 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 genre has grown up. But it still has a lot of growing, growing to do, and we and we've seen artists speak up about this. I mean, we've had hip hop artists like Lil Nas X, for instance, who came out as as gay, and that not be a career uh, destroyer for him, which I would say twenty years ago quite likely would have been. And I think it's it's the diversity of the genre that's allowed us to have this sort of discourse to talk about these things either explicitly or implicitly. I mean, one of the most one of the first kind of conscious rap songs was the message with DJ Melly Mel um, and the Furious Five. Like, like, you know, these guys were talking about the world around them as a way of sparking discourse within the community. I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. And as we see artists who have taken steps forward for whatever reason, be it uh, intrinsic motivation or extrinsic pressures, they have taken on new rhetoric in the way they talk about women, they talk about themselves, they talk about people who aren't like them. I think it's that, it's those pressures that are applied to the work, to the production that has led to, I would hope, hopefully like to say, a more inclusive community writ large, but it's the discourse that makes that happen. And hip hop has grown from those early years, but we still got more growing to do. What do you see for the future of hip hop's brand? I mean, do you think it's experiencing a rebrand right now? Well, I think that hip hop is, uh, it, it's entering into a new chapter of itself in that you have more artists that are more diverse, more heterogeneity in the artists that are coming to, to market. And therefore, the different expressions of hip hop 
begin to become more diverse as well, more, more, more diversity. And the question becomes, what will the people gravitate towards? Where are we as a community? Are we ready for, uh, for more consciousness? Are we ready to talk more about the things that are happening in the world uh, that aren't related to consumption, that aren't related to you know our social status? You know, are are we in a place where we're ready for the hip hop version of Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On"? <laughs> to go, is this waiting waiting for another to pimp a butterfly, if, if you will, uh, or are we ready to party more? Because the world around us uh, is tough, and we need an outlet. And I think that uh, that still remains to be seen. And while those things may be binary or seeing binary on the surface, uh, the idea is that. You know, hip hop is going to continue to to evolve and to change, and it's going to continue to swing, uh, swing across the spectrum, and that's what has given it longevity, its ability to be agile, its ability to change, its ability uh, to to bring new new voices in um, and change the face of the genre. Um, so, if the future holds anything, it'll be it won't be what it's always has been, and that's actually I think uh, a good thing. For the industry, but sometimes kind of heartbreaking for people who are uh, nostalgic like myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone there. Um, I've been speaking with Dr. Marcus Collins, professor at University of Michigan and author of the book For the Culture. Dr. Collins, thanks so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure, Jay. This was uh, it was a privilege and an honor to be with you. What ways do you see hip hop's influence around you? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. You can leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. We'd love to share your ideas here on the show. Don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5 for in-depth reporting on San Diego issues. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow at noon. And if you ever miss a show, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.